This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your, and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning we're going to talk about wills and the importance of creating them uh, for your loved ones and for peace in the world. <laughs> uh, and to uh, tie this in, it's Get Organized Week, October 7th through the 13th. The first full week of October is Get Organized Week, and this is a way you can get organized. So good morning, Professor Gershon. We're welcoming you today by Skype. Good morning, Liz. This is, yeah, Skype is always amazing to me because I, I really, uh, I when my daughter was in Japan, I could talk to her via Skype and, uh, it, you know, it seems, still seems science fiction to me, but I'm glad we're connected. I am too. Um, when my daughter went to college in Vermont and then the other one went to uh, Iowa, yes, we used Skype every week just to be able to see our loved ones' faces. Just don't ask me how it works. No, we don't know. (laughs) So this morning, uh, we're going to talk about the importance of having a will. I know in Arkansas, one of the television stations, uh, a lawyer runs an ad. It's something like, uh, if you have one dollar and two friends, you need to make a will. But... In this day and age, everyone needs a will. And how hard is it to create one? You know, Liz, it's not that hard. And it's something that I think states are even trying to make uh, easier for people to do because they want people to have a plan uh, for their families and for their property. And, you know, when... This it, what really amazes me is when you hear people say, "I want less government interference in my life," and yet people will die not having a plan and allowing the state legislature to decide how their property is distributed. In a way, you know that is huge. It's you know if you only want to try to sell wills, you say that's socialized uh, estate planning because you're allowing the state to make the estate plan for you. Um, you know, really, we need to have a plan. We need to have a set of instructions. We need to think about uh, how complicated our lives really are. You know, for example, um, you know, uh, the statute may say your property is divided equally among your children. Well, you know, Aretha Franklin had a child with special needs. Uh, she did not have a will. You know, how that child's needs are going to, and he was an adult as well. And so, you know, that, that person's needs are going to be different from uh, the needs of the other family members. You, you can't divide a pet in four four pieces, you know. So really, you know, we need to think about the fact that different types of property are not that e- easy to divide equally among children. Uh, and you know, we we think about mom's diamond ring. So you know, having a good set of instructions for the family at a time, especially when a loved one has died, will help people so much because it helps them to know what it is they should be doing with their with the property and how it should be distributed and what that person's wishes were. 
So what uh, to to get a will? Do you need to go see an attorney? Uh, is that uh, better than doing something online, which I assume is much better than just taking a piece of paper and writing it out? Well, you know, it, it really the I think. It's better to see a lawyer. You know, I know people are going to say that's self-serving, but you know, lawyers are trained to think about uh, issues and and things that can be dealt with in a will that maybe the average person doesn't even think about. You know, there there are problems that people might not even think about, and so yes, you can do a will by yourself. In Mississippi, you can write something called a holographic will, which is certainly better than having no will at all. A holographic will is one that you write solely in your own handwriting and that you sign and that that can be a valid will so that's pretty simple i mean it's pretty simple to do it's just a set of instructions that you put solely in your own handwriting and and sign so it's better not to use a form because if you use a form that's not solely in your own handwriting but if you want to have a a a validly executed formally executed will you need to uh, have a will that is signed by the person with two witnesses, uh, and that's better done by a lawyer. Uh, and that's because, again, lawyers think about things like, you know, what happens if the children are minors? How do we make sure we take care of them? What happens uh, in the event that the client becomes incapacitated? There, there's some steps we can take along with men making a will that can help with that as well. So I recommend a lawyer because the, the cost that you pay a lawyer in the front end will typically save you money in the back end uh, because if there are problems on the back end, having to litigate in a probate court to solve those problems is much more expensive. All right. Now, do you still need a will? There are a number of things you can do to uh, designate who you want your property to go to before you die. Um, Do you still need a will if you have like a, a joint account with someone? No, not if that account is joint uh, with rights of survivorship. And most uh, spouses will do it that way. I know my, my wife and I have our bank accounts that way. You want to have those as or accounts and not, uh, you know, or, and accounts. And the reason I say that is because, uh, like, for example, if I were to die on the air right now, I promise I won't. But if I were, then I know my wife could continue to write uh, checks from our bank account because it's in her name or my name. And so that's seamless. And some of what you want to make sure then is uh, when a loved one dies is that uh, the rest of the family can continue as seamlessly as possible. And joint accounts are a good way to do that. Now, if we had it in her name and my name and we needed both signatures, uh, then uh, uh, you know, she's going to need to get a death certificate and a you know, certification that I am, in fact, uh, dead and that she now owns the account. So it's it's easier to keep those kind of accounts, you know, so that they're as flexible as possible. Uh, you can set up something called a payable on death account in Mississippi as well. And the difference between a joint account and a payable on death account is, you know, right now my wife could be, if she wanted to, it would be fine with me, taking all the money out of our account. But with a payable on death account, uh, the beneficiary only has access to that account after the person dies. So it's a way for me to make sure I'm the one who can use that uh, account while I'm alive. And then, uh, you know, after death, that person can go to the bank. Again, they're going to have to prove that I've actually died, but then they can have immediate access to that account without having to go through probate. Is there a hierarchy 
Does it go by date? If I have someone named as the beneficiary on an insurance policy and then I make out a will and say I want to leave my insurance policy to someone else, uh, does it does it go by the who's listed on the joint account or on the payable on death? Or if a will is made subsequent, does that take precedence? Well, typically, when you talk about assets that pass outside of probate, like life insurance, uh, typically then the will has no effect on those. So what you want to do is you want to change that beneficiary designation with the insurance company. And the reason that's important is because, you know, if you think about the, from the insurance company's perspective, they've got this policy. It's got a beneficiary designation. Uh, the beneficiary sends a death certificate to them, you know, certifying that the person has died and that they're entitled to those benefits. They're, they, you know, they want to trust the beneficiary designation on the policy they have. They don't want to have to read everybody's wills to see if, if you know, in fact, that designation has changed. So, the appropriate way to change that designation is to go to that uh, that uh, uh, insurance company, and that's really important for people who have been divorced as well. You know, uh, you want to make sure that things like retirement plans, uh, which have a beneficiary designation and, and are really not controlled by the will, um, that that those retirement plans on divorce are changed as well, uh, you know, because you don't want to find out, you know, 30 years from now that someone's ex-spouse got their retirement plan because they failed to change their beneficiary designation on the retirement plan. So in addition to the will, we need to think about other assets that we have and how they're titled and make sure that we organize those as well. So would it be good to have a will as a catch-all in case you've missed something if you've tried to have uh, payable on death and beneficiaries and joint accounts? Will the, the will be the and everything else? Yes, that's what the will is good for. And, you know, there's, there's stuff that you're going to have uh, that, that uh, is important. And yet, uh, you know, may not lend itself to being a joint account. You know, things like, uh, for example, uh, mom's engagement ring. You know, I have three daughters and, you know, one of them will get uh, my wife's engagement ring when she dies. And so the question is, you know, who who is that person? You can't really have a joint account and a, and a ring. So that that's where a will would be really helpful to designate some of that specific property. And those are conversations as well that uh, people should have with their children, with their beneficiaries uh, and, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So they can make sure that um, that they're they, that people understand why they're doing what they're doing, because there is only one engagement ring. There is only one dining room table. So those are the kind of things that are really important to deal with uh, for the family's sake. Well, with all of the holidays that are coming up in the the next three months, maybe this would be a good time to talk with your family. I know they suggest on Thanksgiving you talk about your family's health history or talk about uh, your uh, – what, what your wishes are for uh, for your death, maybe this would be a good time, uh, if, if joking, not joking, to talk about that with your family. Um, we're going to take our first break now. Uh, now, folks, don't wait to give us a call till the last of the hour because we run out of time and then we can't help you unless you send an email. And that address is legalterms at mpbonline.org 
Our phone number, if you do have a question, we'd love to take it talking about wills and estates to to learn what the laws are concerning wills. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thanks for joining us on In Legal Terms. We realize that not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon, who's joining us by Skype from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning we're talking about wills. And we have a call that we're going to go to. It's uh, Ocean Springs. Diane has called in. Thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Um, yes, um, in my divorce, uh, I got, I gave um, my husband a house, ex-husband a house, and he agreed to make me the sole beneficiary on his life insurance. And um, so, you know, the term life insurance is only good till he's 77 and he's 62 now. Um, I got concerns of his, if his current wife can challenge that. And, um, you know, question about... Um, Will I need to have any problems getting a death certificate when he passes away in order to collect on that benefit? Okay. Well, Diane, first of all, um, you know, it, it, I, again, I can't give you specific advice because I haven't seen your divorce decree, but I'm assuming that part of the decree or settlement included that you would be maintained as the beneficiary uh, on the insurance policy. So that, that will control that divorce decree or settlement does control uh, that. And, and that does happen, especially where minor children are involved a lot of times to protect uh, uh, child support and things like that. The payor will be insured and have to keep the beneficiary designation the same. So I imagine that you're, you're probably going to be fine there and that that can't be challenged. But what um, what you should need to do is get, uh, when uh, when your ex passes away, you can get a certified copy. You want a certified copy of the death certificate. And uh, that uh, really uh, should be uh, fairly easy to do. And you get that certified copy and send that to the, uh, the insurance company and they should pay. But Again, you know that depends. All depends on what actually happened in the divorce and your settlement. And as long as you are required to be uh, permanently the be- beneficiary on that insurance policy, uh, that's something that should not change. Well, um, I was told by a friend of mine that um, her mother um, was trying to uh, get her her dad um, social security, and they had divorced. And she said that she couldn't get it. 
and she, as the daughter, was able to get her dad's death certificate. So she said, you might need to check on this and see if, you know, get him to agree to it or something. But I would think that if I just showed my marriage license and that I was married to him and showed a divorce decree, maybe, that I wouldn't have a problem getting it. Well, one thing, one thing, when someone is the uh, personal representative of the estate, part of one of the things they should do, we call them the executor, executrix in Mississippi. A lot of states have gone to the title personal representative because that's gender neutral. But uh, so I I often say personal representative. But to me, it is part of their job is to get some copies of the certified death certificate so that as needed they will have them available because you're going to need them for joint accounts and things like that as well so uh you know it is possible that if you find out who the personal representative is they would have uh, an additional copy for you to use as well okay all right well i appreciate that thank you thanks so much for calling in diane we appreciate you listening We're talking about wills and the importance of having a will. If you have a question, this is your chance, folks, to ask Professor Gershon. So if you have a question about wills, give us a call. Our number is 877-672-7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're going to talk about some of the things a lot of folks might forget to put in your will, and that's alternate beneficiaries. Uh, Tell uh, why would someone need to have an alternate beneficiary uh, for your will, Professor Gershon? Well, let's say, you know, one thing that I I always tell my students is you want to have alternate estate plans within the will because things change and you know you can't always predict what's going to change uh one question that's hard to ask someone when they're making a will is what do you want to happen if your children die before you and their answer is i don't want that to happen or that's not going to happen but you need to plan just in case it does happen so you want to have that alternate plan because you want to you want things to flow as seamlessly as possible so you know i will say something like um, i give the property to my children if they survive me but if one of my children should not survive me then i want that child's child to take in their place their share Um, because otherwise what will happen is there's a default provision that that divides the property you know with certain assumptions that may not be true you know again the legislature will have certain assumptions about what happens when a child predeceases a parent and there's no provision saying, you know, what should happen. So we want to make sure that we think about alternate estate plans. And sometimes those alternate estate plans will be, you know, if, if I can't think of another person to give the property to, then in default, I'll give it to my, my church or my, my university, to some charity. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's always a good thing to have. It's just you want, to, you want to make sure the property passes by your first choice, your second choice, in some cases your third choice, rather than having it uh, dictated by the legislature. Another thing a lot of people might forget about is now we've got all, all these digital assets. In fact, one of the coworkers here was just saying that when his mother-in-law passed away, they wanted to get access to her Facebook account. And he was just saying um, all of his, his kids' memories, uh, the photos of, the, of uh, them growing up are on Facebook and would want that to be handled correctly when he passes away. Talk about uh, digital assets. 
That's right. I mean, digital assets are really an important part of uh, who we are now. You know, our, not just our estate plan, but our, our legacy plan. You know, how we want to be remembered, uh, and they are different. Uh, you know, do I want my my account to, to still be accessible by someone in my family? And that's really going to depend on each of the uh, the various social media outlets. So you want to you want to check with them. But for example, Facebook allows users to set up in advance what they want to do with their account. So users can choose to memorialize the account or have it permanently deleted. That's something you want to discuss with your family about what you, what you want to have happen and you want to uh, give the appropriate people your password uh, You know, if you want them to have access to it um, and let them know when you change those passwords. Uh, Twitter... Um, does does cooperate uh, with an authorized point of contact uh, that someone has to uh, to use get to the user account when the person dies, but Twitter will not allow somebody to have an account access to post anything or make changes to the account uh, after the person dies. So you know, the different uh, different organizations, different social media have different rules. You want to check with them, but but I think it's great to have a conversation. Important to have a conversation about hey, I you know I want everybody to have access to my pictures. I want to keep my Facebook account open uh, after I die. I've already authorized my spouse. My wife has access after I die to make sure that that can happen. You can do that through Facebook. So those are things to think about. Anthony Bourdain, uh, uh, before he died, thought about his uh, as uh, frequent flyer miles, which he had many of. You know, who got, who was going to get his frequent flyer miles? It was uh, his uh, his girlfriend, because he knew that she would use them to travel. And so, those are all things we want to think about. You know, a, a default statute and an intestacy statute, which is what happens, uh, you know, dictates what happens to our property when we die without a will. An intestacy statute doesn't think about things like social media. It doesn't think about things like sky miles or or frequent flyer miles. Uh, you know, it doesn't uh, address specific types of property. It doesn't talk about pets. Um, it just says the property is divided equally among the children. And, and you, so you mentioned, go ahead, I'm sorry. you mentioned pets. You know, we were talking our Thursday show, Creature Comforts. Dr. Troy Major is a he, he enjoys birds, the large birds. And I think those have lifespans almost as long as people. That's right. And, you know, if you just if you don't have a will or you don't have some kind of designation as to who gets that pet, then, you know, again, the statute's going to say if you got three kids, they're going to split the pet equally. Well, that doesn't make sense. So those are conversations we want to have ahead of time. Who, who loves the pet? Who would take care of the pet? Who's going to honor someone's wishes, you know, about how that pet should be taken care of? Uh, you know, we we. You hear crazy things about people leaving money to pets, uh, and that really is not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is to set up a trust to take care of that pet and give someone some money to make sure the pet is taken care of and fed and has veterinary care because pets are responsibilities, and we want to make sure that you know we don't just give someone the pet and say, here, they're yours, now you're responsible, without maybe giving some support for that that uh, that pet as well. Uh, so you can set up a, a trust to, to do that. Uh, but we want to think about those things. Pets are very important parts of our lives, and they could very well outlive us. Fantastic. We've got two calls that uh, we're going to take. If you would like to call in with a question about wills that uh, Professor Gershon could answer, now's your chance. Our phone number is one 672 
888-528-7464. And we're going to go to Jackson. Ricky is calling in. Ricky, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Okay. My question is, is that I already have a will and I have a house and three girls. The lawyer suggested that I leave the house to the oldest daughter with the instructions that the youngest ones will always have a place to live. But she also told me that the house will actually belong to her. So if she chooses not to do that, then she can because it will become her house. So I just want to know if there is a better way to leave the house with the three of them without having to go through the trouble that if they have children and something happened to them, then the children have to sign the paperwork. And you know how that goes. So I'm trying to see if there's a better way to do that. Well, that's again, that's a that's a great question, Ricky. Thank you for your call. Um, you know, first of all, you said the house is in Missouri. So one thing that to think about is that um, your will can pass the house in Missouri, even if it's a Mississippi will. But uh, the, the property itself, however you decide to deal with it by will, is going to be have to be probated in Missouri. So there's going to be, have to be uh, somebody who will deal with the administration of the property in Missouri. So one thing that I might suggest, and just generally for people who are interested in this, is to have a trust that owns the, the home. And um, the trust could be set up in Mississippi. That, that when the, when uh, a person dies, the trust is a is treated as a person under the law, so it doesn't die. So the assets in the trust don't have to go through probate at all. Um, and so uh, you can you know set up some terms to say, well, the primary uh, user of this house is going to be the oldest daughter. But that, uh, you know, that uh, you can set, uh, create a trustee, somebody who oversees the property that also ensures that the other, other children have access. And at some point, if they want to sell it, then when they sell it, they can split the proceeds equally. That would be one, you know, one way to do it. Um, it you know, you would have to talk to a lawyer to, to set that trust up. But that might be a way to save some of the trouble on the front end. The other is you could just trust the oldest daughter to do the right thing. Um, and you would hope that that happens. And that works out. But, uh, you know, that's families are complicated and it doesn't always work out that way. Thanks for calling in, Ricky. We need to take our second break of the hour. We've got full lines right now. So as you're listening, when you hear one caller uh, finish with their question and hang up, then another person will be able to call in. And that number is one 672 7464 and our email is legalterms at mpbonline.org Professor Gershon touched on this a little bit we're going to ask what was notable about Aretha Franklin's will we'll talk about that and the ramifications when we come back you're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome. 
Welcome back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. We've got Professor Richard Gershon on Skype. He's our expert. Today we're talking about wills. And I mentioned about Aretha Franklin. Uh, Professor Gershon mentioned at the beginning of the show that she died without a will. And one of her children's is a special needs individual. And if that is something interesting specifically to you, Richard, attorney Richard Courtney has been a guest on at MPB a few times on our May 22nd, 2018 Money Talks show, Elder and Disability Money Issues. He answered some questions and talked about that issue on August 8th, a little over a year ago. He was on Illegal Terms and talked about estate planning. And he also was a friend of the show on In Legal Terms October 25th. 2016 talked about special needs law and the importance of having wills that uh, address uh, caring for special needs individuals that you're currently supporting. Well, Professor Gershon, we've got some more calls to go to. We've got from Florence. Roger is calling in. Thanks for calling in, Roger. Go ahead. Well, this is a thank you to you, Prof, are doing this again, and thanks, thanks for that that contribution. I, as you know, I was a Chancery Court judge, and in those rare occasions when I had a jury trial over a uh, will contest, uh, on a couple of occasions, the question was part of the question was whether a codicil, whether the person was competent or under under influences at the time they wrote a codicil and not necessarily at the time they wrote the original will. So it brings up the question, and, and most of your listeners won't be aware of the function of a codicil or a change to a will. So I think in your, uh, because you're a professor, you can explain this pretty well and leave out what you don't think is necessary, but would you discuss the merits of making a usually a minor change to a will through a codicil, which has to be witnessed just like the will, and then comment on the potential problems of a, uh, of a competency problem or a uh, new influence problem, problem that might arise between the time the original will is written and the codicil is written. So it's an interesting question. It may be too esoteric to, for your listeners, but at least it'll define codicil and you can comment on it. Thank you. I'm just going to listen. All right. Thank you, Judge. It's always good to have you call when you call, and we appreciate you. Uh, you know, let, let me start by saying that, that when you make a will, you must uh, uh, be competent. Uh, the You know, the, the terms of the statute say uh, anyone who is of sound mind and competent, and that is uh, means you've got to be 18 years old or in some ways emancipated uh, by marriage or uh, otherwise to make a will. So typically we're talking adults who are competent, and competent has been defined as having capacity, and capacity means you know, I'm going to put this really uh, simply, you know where your property is, you know who your people are, you know how a will will affect your property and people when you die. And that really is uh, what you need to be able to articulate to have capacity. And then undue influence occurs when somebody else uh, is uh, involved in making the will who is in a 
uh, fiduciary or confidential relationship with you who, uh, for example, a, a, a child who brings an elderly parent to the lawyer's office and says, here's what mom wants me to do or wants you to do with the will. That, to me as a lawyer, would sound like, you know, that could be undue influence because I want to make sure I'm writing uh, the mother's will and not the will imposed on the mother by someone else, in that case, the child. So undue influence is and lack of capacity, or, and the judge can uh, probably support me on this one, are the, the most widely made claims against wills uh, when they come to litigation. Now, most wills don't end up in litigation, but when they do, that's what happens. Now, codicil as a change. Now, when I was when I first started practicing, we used typewriters. And, uh, you know, so if you wanted to make a change in a will that, you know, it was easier to just have someone type, uh, you know, a sentence that was changed or a small change and, and make a codicil, the codicil had to. Uh, have the same witnesses and the same signatures, the same requirements as making the will, but it was just easier than redoing the whole will. So usually today, because we do everything, you know, start everything electronically, it's easier in some ways to just redo the whole will because that means simply instead of having somebody retype the whole will, it, it is for them to uh, you know make the changes digitally, print it out, has to be signed and executed the same way anyway, that would be uh, the better way to do it typically. But as the judge points out, if there's any question of undue influence or lack of capacity in that codicil, first of all, as a lawyer, I should not, I don't, I shouldn't participate in making that will if I don't think the client has capacity or if I think there's undue influence. But if there's any potential, the codicil itself might not be valid, but that won't invalidate the whole will. Whereas if I redo the whole thing and the whole thing is invalid uh, because of lack of capacity, uh, you know, then uh, that new document won't be valid. Of course, then the question is, if the new document's not valid, then the, the, then the revocation of the old document won't be valid either. So, I mean, I guess the, the best way to answer your question, Judge, is I usually would recommend not using codicils because I like to use one document. I like to just have one document that defines everything. Uh, there are cases that had 23 codicils. Um, Seward Johnson, the Johnson & Johnson estate, had 23 codicils. And trying to figure out the changes that are made as they go uh, is a lot more complicated than dealing with one document. So I hope that answered the question. Thank you so much for calling in. We're going to go next. We've got from Mobile. John has called in. John, welcome to In Legal Terms. What's your question or comment for the show? Uh, thank you and good morning, Liz. Um, I, to Professor Gershon, I'd like to ask, uh, can wills be researched? I'm trying to research medical and um, legal documents relating to my family. And um, I'd like to know if my father even had a will. He died many, many years ago. Well, you know, those are wills become public record after the person dies. Uh, they are uh, like any other things filed with the courts. You know, you can search them and uh, you should at least be able to find his probate records, uh, I, I would imagine. Uh, you just need to know, you know when he died uh, and where he died. Uh, you would want to search the chancery court if you're in Mississippi, if it's a Mississippi uh, situation uh, in the county where he died. Um 
and you should be able to find that information. There should be uh, some filing uh, for that. Um, you know, nowadays you can find wills, particularly uh, uh, wills of famous people are easy to find online after they die. And one reason why people talk about using trusts instead of wills is that trusts uh, do not become public documents because the assets in the trust don't go through probate court. So uh, Burt Reynolds, for example, left everything to his son in a trust uh, and did not leave anything to his son in a will, but that's because he didn't have really much property to leave in the will. So, uh, but yes, you can research wills. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. All right. And next, we're going to go to uh, On the Road. Carter, uh, drive carefully. Carter, what's your question or comment for In Legal Terms on our Will Show? Good morning. Um, I'm a Chancery judge, and um, there are a number of cases where I see people bring to court a will that has been notarized, and they think that that is sufficient. So I wanted Professor Gershon to address uh, the fact that a notary on a will is not sufficient to get past the requirement of having two witnesses to attest to the uh, competency of the testator or testatrix, and I'll hang up. But- Thank you, Judge. Boy, that's it's great to have two Chancery judges calling, especially on a show that uh, uh, you know where they you know they deal with wills and they deal with divorces, and we appreciate their hard work and, and all that they do. Um, yes, that's right. Uh, the requirement is that the will be signed by the testator or testatrix, the person who's making the will, and that two witnesses sign. And I think people do make a mistake of thinking that a notary is that witness, that that's all you need. The fact is, the will has to have two witnesses' signatures. And then you can have a separate document called a self-proving affidavit where the witnesses swear and the, the testator swears in front of this notary that they did, in fact, sign the will and that the witnesses saw the testator sign the will or acknowledge the will. And and that notary then uh, notarizes that document, that separate document, and that's admissible to prove that the witnesses actually signed. So you don't have to try to find the witnesses later when the person dies. But you still have to have those witnesses. So sometimes what will happen is people will swear that they signed the will on a, on a separate document, an affidavit, a separate affidavit, even though they didn't sign the will. And the person will try to have the will plus that document probated when in fact they are separate documents so it's really important to get those two witnesses this is why a lawyer it's important to have a lawyer do it because a lawyer will know how to make sure the will is properly executed uh, and that it is admittable admissible to uh, a judge um, in a chancery court all right thank you so much for that professor gershon we're going to take our last break of the hour and then we have an email that just completely sums up what all this show is about it's about wills we'd love for you to participate our number is 1-877-MPB-RING the number is 1-877-672-7464 if we have time when we get back we'll talk about uh, what to do if you want to disinherit your spouse we may have some bad news for you if uh, if uh, you want to do that, we'll talk about spousal elections. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. You might have just heard the promo about uh, voting and uh, educators using uh, the midterm elections in their classrooms. We had a fantastic show last week with uh, Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman. If you missed hearing that program, we'd love for you to listen to the whole show again. You can hear it at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms or a uh, second way to listen to it, it is if you have the MPB media app, you can listen. A third way you could listen is to download our podcast or stream our podcast for In Legal Terms. I am Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon. He's joining us by Skype from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we'll also remind our listeners that today is the last day you can register to vote by mailing in your voter registration sheet, which you can easily print from the website uh, sos.ms.gov. You don't even need an envelope. You just fill it out, fold it over, uh, maybe put a piece of tape on it and stamp. And if it's postmarked today, you will be registered to vote for the midterm elections, which are the first Tuesday in November. All right, uh, Professor Gershon, we got an email that I think just completely sums up our show. The person says, my wife and I are in our 30s with one small child. We own two cars, and the only debt we have, thank goodness, is our house payment. What type of will do we need? How do we designate who should care for our child if something happens to both of us? How do we direct that both sides of our families should have a role in our daughter's life? It's a great question. It really is. And and it's a question a lot of uh, younger people think about as well. It's like, well, do I really need a will because I don't have a lot of stuff? Well, I I, I would say think about the things you do have, though, things that may have a special meaning. Maybe you've got uh, an heirloom from a family member and, you know, it doesn't necessarily uh, it's not necessarily something you want to have passed to your spouse. It might be something that should go back to that family member or somebody on uh, your parents side of the family, Uh, you know, things like that. So, you know, we all have have stuff that even though it may not be that valuable to others might be valuable to a particular person in the family and a will certainly is a good way to deal with that but the the best part of the question really is what about our kids and that's the thing that the uh, statute really doesn't say uh, if somebody doesn't have a will so an important part of the will process is also to to say who should be the guardian of children uh, in the in the case that both parents die Uh, and you know that's a conversation that this young couple should be having now with their family members the question is how do we make sure both uh, families are involved have that conversation with them now. So don't just wait until it's in the will, and it's a good place to reiterate it in the will. But, you know, we want to make sure that they're willing to take care of the children, that they're, you know, that that's something they've thought about. The other thing is a young family like this needs to update their will every time they have another child. If nothing else, you won't put that child's name in the will. But, you know, uh, because with the next child, they'll be older. 
parents, family members will be older. At some point, it might be that the family members become really too old uh, to be the right people to take care of, of the children. So maybe somebody else, maybe a friend or you know, a, a younger family member should be it. So it's something we should be thinking about, and a will is a good place to put that information. Excellent. Well, we have two phone calls that we're going to get to before the end of the hour. We're going to go to Mobile. Mikey, thanks for calling in legal terms. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, I'm going to be brief here. Uh, It's probably a really simple question. Uh, Since you mentioned that in the electronic age where uh, revising things electronically is a lot easier than it used to be with making triplicate copies, yada-da-da-da, is having a handwritten document um, more influential in legal terms than doing something electronically? That's a, it's a great question, and you know, really, uh, in Mississippi and uh, and you know, several other states, you can write your will as long as it's in your own handwriting. All you need is your own signature for it to be a valid document uh, and a valid will. Uh, you know, the thing about it is, though, that document. Um, then is destroyed or lost, and it's much harder to, to replicate. Whereas if we do something in an electronic media, save it in a cloud, you know, there's a hurricane about to hit Florida, for example, so documents could be destroyed. I think the electronic, you know, saving something in a cloud, having it electronically, even though it means you have to have a signature of the testator and two witnesses, that's, I honestly think that's a better way to preserve that document um, in well, the modern maybe age. maybe both. Maybe both, huh? Maybe both. And, and one thing about uh, as, a, as a lawyer, one of the things that I want in a state that allows holographic wills is for my client to write me before I meet with them to write me what it is they want to have in their will and to sign that document. Because then if they unfortunately die before I have a chance to make a formally executed will, they at least have something. Uh, that can dictate what happens to their estate. Uh, you know, some states like Florida don't allow holographic wills, so you don't have that option in a state like Florida, but Mississippi does. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, something in writing, something by, with that person's handwriting is certainly uh, something that uh, is meaningful. Uh, you know, but, if, you know, when you think about thing, bad things that can happen, it's harder to replace that handwritten document than it is a, a digital document. Could you take a photo of the handwritten document? Well, that's a great question, and that's one that you know a Chancery Court judge would probably talk to because <laughs> uh, you know they, they have there have been probated uh, you know like pieces of a wall that somebody wrote on, believe it or not. Uh, but I don't know that a photo is going to count as as that holographic will, and um, and so far no states allow us to have. So, uh, solely digital wills. I mean, I file my tax returns digitally, but a will uh, still has to be a written document signed and executed. Florida legisl- Florida's legislature last year considered allowing digital wills. I think some state's going to start to do it at some point. Maybe there's a state out there that has, but uh, to my knowledge, there's not one. So we still need to, to have them written, either typed or written and, and executed with two witnesses signed by the testator. All right, and our last question is going to come from Madison. Rick, thanks for being part of In Legal Terms Will Show today. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, the, the guest today mentioned uh, on a previous caller's question that the uh, if uh, he, they were looking for the father's will and said, I think you said if he knows the date or time, and then the county he died in. Um, I, I was thinking that I, I thought maybe it was the county was his residence because if he died in, like, 
New Hampshire or Maine or some other place. It would be the county he died in. So I was just curious, did he mean the residency? No, you're right. And you're right. It would be residency. When I said the county he died in, I was assuming it was he died in, you know, where he was living. But you're absolutely right. I mean, if you're out traveling, it's not where you die. It's where you're a resident. So I overspoke uh, there. And I was thinking more just in terms of, you know, where did it where was his father living when he died is, is really how I should have said it. So you're absolutely correct at that. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Rick. And uh, one last thing with our teaser. We mentioned uh, Mississippi isn't a community property state. And uh, tell us, just mention quickly about the election uh, a surviving spouse can make uh, when their spouse dies uh, with their respect to what they receive in a will. Well, that's right. If you if you try to disinherit your spouse uh, in Mississippi, because we're not a community property state, uh, that spouse can elect to take a share of the probate assets, not the non-probate assets. So again, those joint accounts and the life insurance and things like that are not part of this. But whatever is passed through the will, that spouse gets a share. And in Mississippi, that's a child share. Uh, or up to one half of the estate, uh, if uh, you know that's the most you can take in that elective share. So, it's hard to disinherit a spouse uh, in Mississippi unless you get some kind of agreement that the spouse waives their right to to take that share. The other thing that uh, people don't think about is. Things change in people's lives. So if I don't name a child in my will because that child is born after I make my will, uh, Mississippi and and every state that I'm aware of has a provision that will protect that that child and say that that child gets a share, too, because the only reason you didn't leave them in the will is they didn't exist at the time of the will. And so, uh, you know, there changes in people's lives, marriage, divorce, birth of a child are all good times to consider making a will. Well, we hope we encouraged our everyone to talk about this with your family, talk about uh, what your intentions are, and if we haven't spurred you to go get a will made, listen to the show again and then go get a will made. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's going to wrap us up for today for In Legal Terms. Our call screener today was Java Chapman, and our board engineer in Jackson has been Jay White. And we've enjoyed having Professor Gershon on Skype today from the University of Mississippi School of Law, where he's off to teach his next class. I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. We hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.